Good morning, everyone. And welcome to our first uh, sermon in the series on Israel. And I don't know if you notice it or not, but we are right now at the Wailing Wall, sometimes called the Western Wall. This uh, wall is part of the old compound of what would have been called um, Solomon's Temple, or Herod's, Herod's Temple, actually. This is a very, very special series that we're doing. And uh, I am really excited that we get to do that this summer. Now, before we go any further, can we stop that humming? Thank you. Before we go any further, I want you to know that we have a special kiosk set up in the atrium because starting today, we're going to start taking names of anybody who's interested in going to Israel. Anybody would like to go to Israel? Just wave at me this morning. There's a few of you. Good, very good. If you're interested, what we need you to do is we need you to simply sign up and tell us, uh, tell us what's a good time for you. Because what we're going to do is we're going to try to figure out what works best for everybody. And this will be the first time that we've ever gone to Israel from this church. There's a few of you who have gone independently. I've been a few times. But it'll be the first time that we as a church uh, are going to be having trips to Israel. So really excited about that. And here's the thing. If we have enough people, uh, we may actually take more than one trip. Really excited about that. And then next summer, uh, Jesse Duncalf, my son, is going to be leading a group of young adults in June to, uh, to Israel for what we call a zealous trip. So over the next, uh, the next 10 weeks, I think, we're going to be talking about Israel. We have a beautiful uh, backdrop for us just to remind you of the beautiful land of Israel. It's at this wall that Jews have prayed for hundreds and hundreds of years, prayed for the coming of the Messiah. It's at this wall they've come and asked God for mercy. It's at this wall, you may have seen it in, in documentaries or video footage of what happens in Israel, but you'll see them standing at the wall just doing this. And they'll do it for an hour, two hours, sometimes longer. What are they doing? They're reciting their prayers, their, their psalms, asking God to establish, reestablish his kingdom. And so what we'd like to do is we'd like, you to, we'd like you to come with us to Israel to experience this. Now, for those of you who've never been there, don't know the significance of it, over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be talking about the different places that we'll be visiting when we go to Israel. So in a sense, we are visiting Israel. This is why we're calling this series, Cross Church Goes to Israel. Because over these next 10 weeks, we're going to be talking about the various places that we will be visiting when we get there. So this summertime will be a class on Israel. And we're really excited about that. We hope that you will enjoy it. I'd like us to take a moment right now to pray for Jerusalem, because the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So let's just pray right now, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church and for what you want to do through this church. God, we know that your word tells us, to, tells us clearly to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, God, today that by your spirit you would do something very special in that land. We pray, God, today that you would, in fact, use uh, us, the believers, to bless that land, to remember to pray for that land. 
And Father, over the next 10 weeks, we want to faithfully pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, God, that your will would be accomplished there. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be going to different parts of Israel. And uh, next week, I think we've got uh, uh, Mark, who's going to be speaking about uh, uh, Bethel. And you'll find out more about that. And we've got Andrew and Marilyn speaking, uh, talking about numbers of different places throughout the land of Israel. But let me just say this to you about Israel, because you're, you're hearing about Israel all the time in the news, and you're not hearing necessarily good reports about Israel. In fact, the media, if, as many of you know, are very biased against Israel, and they would declare to you that, in fact, uh, this land was stolen by the Jewish people, uh, some would suggest that it's no longer, it no longer belongs to the Jewish people. In fact, there's many preachers who, uh, who hold to what we call a replacement theology, which basically says that the church replaces Israel and that the covenants with Israel no longer stand. So, um, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 8, and here's what it says. God makes a covenant with the people of Israel through the, through the patriarch Abraham. And here's what God says. So the Lord made a covenant, a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. God declares that he has given this land of Israel to the descendants of Abraham. Our first stop on the tour of Israel is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city about the size of Winnipeg, give or take 100,000 people. Uh, it take, it's probably about 800,000 people. It's got a land mass of about 50 square miles or 125 uh, square kilometers. And it is indeed the holy city of the three major religions of the world, of Judaism, of Islam, and of Christianity. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but all three religions include or recognize as their father, Abraham. I don't know if you know that. And so it is a, it's a, a very holy city, considered a holy city, and it is looked to as a place of pilgrimage. Many people from around the world have gone to the holy city called Jerusalem, and there they hope to experience something special in the presence of God, walking in the footsteps of the patriarchs, walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ himself. Now, I want you to know something about uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, in fact, a very ancient city. It's one of the 10 oldest cities uh, occupied in the world. And when I say one of the 10 oldest cities occupied in the world, I mean that this is a city that's consistently been occupied uh, by, by people for, for all these millennia. So we're looking at, at uh, literally thousands of years, five to 6,000 years of continual inhabitants. Now, having said that, let me just say this. In about the year 1000 BC, David, some of you may remember David, King David, a very special king. Uh, some would say the greatest king of all of the kings of Israel a man that God called a man after his own heart. It was David who felt God calling he and his family to establish a special permanent temple. Because up to the time of David, 
The tabernacle, the place where the people of Israel worshipped God, was in fact in a movable tabernacle. It was basically a very sophisticated tent. But David wants to make a permanent place of worship for the children of Israel. And so he goes before God and he says, God, I want to build this temple. And he starts amassing massive amounts of gold and precious stones and precious wood in order to build the temple. But God says to David, David, because there's blood in your hands, because of all the people that you have killed, you cannot be the one to build the temple. But the good news is, is I'm going to allow your son Solomon to do that. And so Solomon builds the very first temple in about 950 B.C. And then, of course, you may or may not know this, but the temple is actually destroyed by invaders. And it's reestablished, rebuilt in about uh, about 500 B.C., about 500 years later. Now, here's what you need to know also about Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It has been destroyed twice. It's been besieged 23 times. It's been attacked 52 times. And it's been captured and recaptured at least 44 times. It's a city that has captured the imagination of people all over the world. It's a city that nations have fought for. Now, I want you to know something else that's Very, very interesting. And if you know your Bibles, you'll understand the significance of this. But this is the place called the place where God dwells. Now, you and I as Christians, we we understand that Jesus Christ dwells in our hearts, don't we? But before that advent, before the coming of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of his indwelling the hearts and the lives of believers, God's presence called the Shekinah glory actually dwelt within the temple. And so God's presence was felt and known and actually could be seen hovering over the temple of Jerusalem. And as long as God's presence was there, the children of Israel felt indeed that they were safe, that God was in their midst. But you know something terrible happened. The children of Israel turned their back on God. The children of Israel rejected God and they started adopting the religions of the people around them. And it wasn't long before they forgot about God altogether. And because they forgot about God altogether, the Bible tells us that God brought in foreign nations to punish them and to teach them, not to blaspheme his name, to teach them to worship him. Jerusalem was ransacked. The temple was destroyed in about 68 AD, and has not been rebuilt since. Now, I want want you to know something right now. If the temple of God is not there in Jerusalem, then where is the presence of God? Is God's presence anywhere to be seen or anywhere to be felt? Well, I want you to know something today. The Bible tells us that God does does not live in the temples built by the hands of man. He dwells in the hearts of his people. And this morning, if you have not yet come to the realization that God dwells in people's hearts and not in in temples built by the hands of men, then I've got some very, very exciting and good news for you today. So Jesus comes preaching the gospel in the the temple, and uh, he's, he's in the temple constantly. And what is he doing while he's in the temple? I'll tell you. 
He's challenging all the religious people. He's challenging the religious leaders. He's telling the religious leaders that they don't get it, that they don't understand. Of course, they're furious. They're livid. Who does this young upstart think he is to tell us that we don't have the truth and that we don't know what the will and the mind of God is? You know know how the story goes. Jesus has come to tell the people the good news, the good news of the new kingdom that has come. Now listen to this, because if you don't get this and you really won't understand the Old Testament, you won't understand prophecy, you won't understand the New Testament, you won't understand the purpose of Jesus Christ. What I'm going to tell you right now is going to unlock all kinds of doors that maybe uh, have caused you some confusion, things that you haven't understood all these years. What you need to understand is this, is that Jesus Christ has come to set up his kingdom in the hearts of human beings. Jesus has not come to establish an earthly kingdom, a political kingdom. He has first come to establish his kingdom in the hearts of people. Now, his disciples never understood that in all the years that he was teaching on earth. It wasn't until afterward that they began to understand a fulfillment of prophecy. A prophecy that we we see Jeremiah giving. And so I want to read to you this prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 31. And here's what it says. Jeremiah chapter 31 Verse 33. Now, remember, this this was written in the Bible before Jesus ever came along. This was a prophecy telling us of what was about to happen in Israel and in the world. Listen to this. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. Now, it hasn't happened yet. Jeremiah is looking to the future to that day when God will establish a new covenant. Now, I'm going to tell you this. When people would have read this or heard this at that time, they wouldn't have understood what Jeremiah was talking about. But that's okay. Because the day would come when it would become abundantly clear what Jeremiah was talking about. He says, this new covenant. By the way, can I just stop here and remind you that we have an Old Testament and a... an Old Covenant and a... Aha! So you get this. We're talking about a new covenant. We're talking about the very person and work of Jesus Christ. And here's what it says. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instruction deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And we skip down to verse 34. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is absolutely revolutionary preaching, teaching, prophecy. This is something that people of Israel had never heard before. We're talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit to the hearts of all who would believe, all who would accept Jesus Christ. We're talking about the forgiveness of sins, of our sins being washed away. My friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what our church proclaims. This is why we send out missions teams to Costa Rica and to Burundi and around the world. This is why we do what we do here. Because we want to share the good news of a Savior who wants to rule in your heart. A Savior who wants to wash away your sin. Who wants to wash away your guilt and your shame who wants to forgive you. 
This is what we're about here at Cross Church. We teach a lot of things here about how to have a great marriage and how to have a great family and how to have a great life, how to have an abundant life. We teach you about how to get along with your neighbors. We try, to, we try to teach you the life skills as pointed out in the scripture. But I'm going to tell you, the very foundation of everything we teach is found here in this prophecy in Jeremiah. That God has come to forgive us of our sins and to come and dwell in the hearts of his people. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Can you say that about yourself? Has Jesus come to establish his covenant in your heart? In other words, is, does Jesus Christ reign in your heart? Have you given your heart to Christ? Have you found your sins have been forgiven? That God has forgiven your wickedness? That he has forgotten your sin? This is the good news, my friends. And this is a message that our dark and broken and hurting world needs to hear. That's why we send out our young people. This is why we invest in our young people. This is why we invest in all our people going and sharing this good news. Now, we need this new covenant that Jeremiah talks about. I'm going to tell you this. The people of Israel were never able to fulfill all the commands of God. They were never able to fully get it right. They tried to obey the laws. They didn't get the laws. And they found themselves discouraged. And they found themselves giving up. Maybe that's some of you. You've been religious all your life. And you've tried to get it right. And you just can't get it right. And next thing you know, you've given up. That's just like the people in Israel for many, many centuries. They tried and tried to get it right. But it just kept failing. They kept on, on messing up. And then finally, many of them just said, ah, there's no use trying anymore. Maybe that's you. You've tried and tried and tried to get it right, and then you just quit, and you said, ah, I can't do this. Okay, can I just tell you something today? This is what's what's different between religion and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Religion is all about rituals and routines and, and doing this and doing that and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. Whereas a relationship with Jesus Christ is altogether different because now the Spirit of God comes and lives in you so that you don't want to do what is bad. You don't want to break the laws of God. You don't want to offend God. You want to please him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And you remember now, Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's meeting with his disciples in his last 40, he's at the end of his 40 days on earth. And it says, once, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Everything seems to happen out of Jerusalem. Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you about. What did Jesus promise? He promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, can I just say this? Does anybody remember the place where the Holy Spirit came? Where were they waiting in Jerusalem? They were waiting in a place called the upper room. Anybody hear of that before? The upper room. This is where they waited. Now, can I just say this? Those of you who will travel to, a, to Israel with us, you are actually, we're going to actually go to the place where many, many believe that uh, 
That was a place where the disciples met, called the upper room. We're going to go to the upper room, the place where they were meeting to pray. So Jesus says, listen, it's a new day. You can't do things the way you used to do it. You can't do it the old way. You've got to do it a new way. And here's the thing. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so Jesus is saying, do not do anything. Don't make a move without the person, the power, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't move. Because otherwise you will fail miserably. Folks, listen to me. <laughs> you cannot live the Christian life until you've been born again and received the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that today? You have to be born again. You have to be recreated. That's what, the way the Apostle Paul put it. He says, I'm a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away and all things are new. That's what it means to be a believer. These young people who are going to Costa Rica, every one of them is a believer Every one of them is baptized. Every one of them is saying, Holy Spirit, come and use me to make a difference in Costa Rica. It's pretty exciting. These young people have been meeting every Wednesday to pray. And by the way, everyone here is welcome to come on Wednesday to pray for these young people. It's one hour from 6.30 to 7.30. In fact, our young people are even fasting and praying. They're fasting and saying, God, I can't do this without you. God, I need the full endowment of your Holy Spirit in order to do the work you've called me to do. That happens on Wednesdays. What's going on here? Well, I'm going to tell you, our young people are not just following a ritual. They're not just going through, you know, the spiritual routines. For them, this is not just a holiday in Costa Rica. Because when they get there, they got to work. And for some of them, that'll be the first time they've ever worked. Just kidding. <laughs> For some of them, they, they're not used to that, but they're going to work. They're going in the power of the Holy Spirit to share the love of Jesus Christ with people who maybe have never heard of him or ever encountered Jesus Christ. And then we read on to verse 8, Acts 1-8. This is a verse, by the way, that every believer should know off by heart. This is what happens this is what happened to the believers that were waiting in the upper room. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, that's a starting place, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and look at this, say it with me, and to the ends of the earth. Now, can I just tell you this? Jesus didn't have time to mention every single place on the earth. In fact, they would have known what Jesus was talking about. But I can assure you this, that in the ends of the earth, Jesus was including Costa Rica and Burundi. Although many people have never heard of Burundi, Jesus knows all about it. How many know that today? These young people that we're going to be praying for today are going to Costa Rica in the power of the Holy Spirit to go and make a difference in that land, that third world land of poverty, of brokenness, of witchcraft, of false religion, of darkness and illness and sickness. They're going to a land that has nothing. They're going 
to make a difference. Now, when Jesus completed his work on earth, he gathered his disciples on the Mount of Olives. This is where, we, this, is where this is being recited. Mount of Olives, folks, is a mountain that's just to the east of Jerusalem. I've been there. Kevin Lamaru has been there I don't know how many times, and you know what I'm talking about. In fact, Kevin, when we went on a trip a few years ago, he broke away from the group, and I was so jealous and mad at him. No, I wasn't really mad, Kevin. Those liberals, eh? <laughs> just joking. He got on top, of the, on, top, on top of the old walls of Jerusalem, walked around them. I was so, so jealous. And I plan to do that with you someday, Kevin. Who knows? But maybe we can do that together as a group. But here it is. Jesus says, on the Mount of Olives, don't make a move, don't go anywhere, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And from the Mount of Olives, Jesus ascends into heaven. Now, when Jesus ascended into heaven, his disciples went back to the upper room in Jerusalem, and they waited. And Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 tells us the fantastic story of how the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those believers. And it says that the Spirit of God came upon them, and it looked like tongues of fire were resting on their heads, and they began to speak in other tongues. It was truly, truly a missions event. Because people from, remember now, Jerusalem is, is, a, is one of the major centers in the world at that time. And people from all over the world would have come to Jerusalem, especially to worship God. And all these people from around the world now are listening to these followers of Jesus Christ speaking their language. In fact, it blew them away, and they were, what's going on here? Who, who are these? Why are they speaking? Our, these people are praising God in our language. We thought we were the only ones that spoke this language. And here are these people praying, and someone is saying, ah, they're, they're just drunk on wine, just ignore them. That's what, they, that's what the Bible says. Ah, just ignore them. They're, just, they're, just, they're all drunk. And Peter, Peter the scaredy cat, remember Peter? who when the little girl said, hey, you're a follower of Jesus, he actually swore at the girl and said, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Why? Because he was scared. He thought he was going to die. Because the Holy Spirit hadn't come upon him yet. He didn't have a boldness. But now suddenly, he's willing to stand up and tell everybody who's interested in hearing. He said, we're not drunk on wine. Not at this early in the morning. We have received the promise the promise of the Holy Spirit. And Peter stood up to preach his very first sermon in front of everybody. Folks, guess what happened? On that day, the Bible says at least 3,000 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you who are going to Costa Rica, I don't know if you're going to have 3,000 people come to Christ when you get there, but I can tell you this. That God wants to use you by his spirit to do something very special in that land. And this is why it is so critical that you ask and that you invite and you pray that the Holy Spirit would work in you and through you to do a great and mighty work. But listen to me, folks. It's not just for our young people going to Costa Rica. It's for everybody who says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Have you come to the place where you're willing to say, Jesus, Lord Jesus, use me? You see, these people, these very first believers, they experienced the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. Their sins have been forgiven, and God had come to dwell within them. Look at it says, I will make uh, a new covenant with my people. I will put my instructions deep within them. How do you explain the, in, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Jeremiah writes it like this. I'm going to put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they'll be my people. Listen to me. Here's the mystery of the Christian life. When you became a Christian, my friends, you were born again, and the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you. Listen to me. The Spirit came to dwell within you so that you would become one and a part of the kingdom of God. And here's how I know whether or not you have surrendered your life to Christ or not, whether or not you are a Christ follower, whether or not the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. Here's what I know will happen. First of all, according to what Jeremiah says, you'll be born again. You will, you will feel your sins have been removed. You will feel that you have been forgiven. You will feel that all your shame and all your sins have been washed away. You will feel free. Has that happened to you yet? The next thing that's going to happen is that you will want to please God and not break a single command. You will want to be holy. You will want to do what is right. You will reject what is evil. You will not, listen, you will not be comfortable in the presence of the unbeliever. You will not be comfortable doing what the unbeliever does. In fact, you will want to reject that because the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you. Is the Spirit of God dwelling in you? And here's the next thing that happens. Jesus said, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. The next thing that's gonna happen, folks, is that you are gonna want to be part of the advancement, the furthering of God's kingdom. You are going to want to be involved in this. That's why these young people said, I want to go to Costa Rica. Next year, I want to go to Burundi. Next year, I want to... Some, some of them are saying, I want to go to Africa and stay there, and I want to just share the love of Jesus Christ. That's how I know a person's converted, because they want to share this good news. They want to advance the kingdom of God. Listen to me. Those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, those who would say, I've been born again, here's what I know. Your new ambition, your new desire, your new drive is, in fact, to see God's kingdom go forward. And remember, what is God's kingdom? It's in the heart, where God rules in the hearts of people. I know that the Spirit of God has touched you when you begin to tell other people about Jesus. It becomes your ambition, your desire, your prayer. You weep over those who don't know Christ. My Sunday school teacher, Mr. Alder, Mr. Tom Alder, to me, one of the most godly men I've ever known in my life. He's one of the few men that I have seen weeping for the lost, crying crying out to God and saying, God, use me. Use me to bring the hope of your love to broken and hurting people. He's one of the few men I know that go regularly, regularly to pray and say, God, let your kingdom rule in the hearts of people. 
That's how I know you're converted. Because you have the same heartbeat of Jesus. Here's one more sign that I know that you're converted, that I know you're born again, that I know that the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. And you, you'll be telling people about Jesus and you'll be inviting them to church. You'll be saying, come, come in here, come and see, come and experience what I experience each week. Is that you? In a few moments, we're going to be inviting our young people to come forward so that I can pray with them. And each of our young people has got a prayer partner, somebody who's going to faithfully pray for them every day while they're there in Costa Rica. And I want to just say this. My prayer is that God will do something very special through our young people, that they will be ruined forever, wrecked forever. They'll never be the same again. They'll be changed because they'll have experienced what it is to bring the love of God to others. But here's what else I'm praying. I'm praying that everyone here will surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit, that you will invite the Holy Spirit to work in you and, and use you, that you will invite the Holy Spirit to help you to win someone for Jesus. Has anybody here won anyone for Christ? When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? Jesus tells us here in Acts chapter 1-8, a verse everybody should know off by heart. He tells us, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And it starts here in Winnipeg. And from Winnipeg, it goes out to the uttermost parts of the earth, to places like Costa Rica. And later on, we'll be praying for the people in Burundi in just a few weeks as they go. I want to close with this. Going in and out of Jerusalem, there are nine ancient gates, each with its own very, very rich history. I want to show you a gate that is very special significance. Can you put that gate up? Some of you may or may not recognize this as the Golden Gate. And you say, well, that doesn't look like a gate to me. You couldn't get through that. Well, you're right. You couldn't get through that. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. This gate was closed up for, for a very specific reason, which I'm going to tell you about in a moment. But let me say this. Um, you remember that I said Jesus ascended into heaven, went into heaven on the Mount of Olives. Does anybody know where Jesus is going to return? Jesus is going to return to earth to the Mount of Olives. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people don't know this, but this gate, this so-called golden gate, is actually opposite the Mount of Olives. When you're standing on the Mount of Olives, you can see the golden gate. This golden gate is well, named the Golden Gate by Christians. In fact, the Jewish people call it the Gate of Mercy. And I'll tell you why. Because according to Jewish tradition, the Shekinah, remember I mentioned the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, the presence of God used to appear through this gate. And here, ready for this? And Ezekiel chapter 44, verses 1 to 3, tells us that this is the gate through which the Messiah will come back to Jerusalem. Now let the Spirit of God speak to you, because this is really cool, really exciting. 
Jesus ascended into heaven on the Mount of Olives, and the Bible tells us that Jesus will return to earth to the Mount of Olives. And listen to this prophecy, and it's Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. Listen, this is really exciting. It says, and in that day, Jesus' feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley, and half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it towards the south. And on that day, that gate will be opened, and the king of glory shall come in. Now listen to this, listen. It was through this gate that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Anybody ever hear of Palm Sunday? The week before Easter? Listen, it was, this is when Jesus entered Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey. Do you remember that? Jesus came in and they worshipped him. And what did they say? They said, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. What are they saying? They're recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. And they thought that Jesus was coming to set up his earthly, his political kingdom. But Jesus said, no, not yet. First, I must rule in the hearts of people. But there's a day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to set up his earthly rule, his political rule. The first time Jesus came in love, And he invites people to respond to him, not because they have to, but because they want to. Because they love this gospel of the forgiveness of sin. Because they love this gospel of a relationship with Almighty God. But Jesus is coming again, and he's going to come through that gate, and he's going to establish his rule on this earth. Now, I want you to know something. This is because some of you are wondering now, why is this gate bricked up? Well, here it is. In 1541, the Ottoman Sultan, Suleiman the Magnificent, anybody ever heard of him? Suleiman the Magnificent, he sealed these gates off. And here's why he did it because he knows, because he knew that according to Jewish tradition, not even thinking about what the Christians had to say, because he knew by according to Jewish tradition that it was through this gate that the Messiah would return and establish his rule. And Suleiman the Great wasn't taking any chances. And so if that's the gate through which the Messiah is going to come, we'll just brick it up. It'll be impossible then to enter Jerusalem, and therefore it will be impossible to establish Christ's rule on the earth. But listen to this. And just just in case the Jews would knock the bricks down again, here's what he did. He established a cemetery there. And Kevin, you and I have seen it and been there. So the, the gates of this golden gate, the gate the Jews call the gate of mercy, the gate that the Muslims call the gate of eternal life, The gate that the ancients called the beautiful gate. The gate we call the golden gate. They established a cemetery because Suleiman again believed that Elijah, the prophet, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would never contaminate themselves by going through a cemetery. 
My friends, there's a way to take care of cemeteries that are in your way. It's called an earthquake. And I just finished reading to you Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. And his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. My friends, Jesus is coming again to establish his earthly kingdom. But until that time, we are called to be his agents in seeing his spiritual kingdom set up in the hearts of his people. This is why we go to Burundi. This is why we go to Jerusalem. This is why this church has got a very strong program of sharing the love of Jesus Christ with the broken and hurting world. Because, listen, my friends, nobody's happy until Jesus rules in their hearts. This morning, there might be some here who have not yet come to that place where you've said, I want Jesus Christ to rule in my heart. I'm not going to embarrass anybody right now, but here's the thing. If you want to make your peace with God, if you would like Jesus Christ to rule in your heart, I'm going to be hanging around here at the end of the service, and you can come and talk to me, and I'll be very, very pleased and honored to introduce you to Jesus and to pray for you so that Jesus Christ would come and dwell within you, so that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell within you, so that Jesus Christ would set up his kingdom in your heart. Have you done that yet? Jesus is here right now and he wants to do something very special in the hearts of his people. He wants to do something very special in your heart. Right now we're going to watch a quick video clip that gives you a bit of a, uh, a window into the work that our young missionaries are going to do in Costa Rica.